Turn with me to John chapter 11 and verse 28. John chapter 11 and verse 28. Some things are hard to express with words. Um, a while back, I was trying to tell David and Alyssa, when Alyssa was pregnant with the boys, what it's like to hold your newborn baby for the first time. What a feeling. It's hard to put into words. Um, maybe there's some memories that you have in your family that are beyond expression. And sometimes our pain is beyond expression, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to put into words. And maybe it, it's a loss of a loved one. Perhaps it's a sickness you're going through. Uh, maybe there's a broken relationship that you're grieving over the loss of that relationship. We've all experienced those things that we can't express. But God knows exactly what we're going through. Um, he is the one who searches hearts and minds. And he sees our hearts and he sees them with a clarity that even we don't see. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked who can know it. We don't even understand ourselves. And yet God understands what we're going through in a way that is truly amazing. Uh, we need to draw near to Jesus in times of trouble and grief and heartache uh, because he perfectly knows our joys, but he also perfectly knows our pain. And he is one who will come alongside us in that pain and minister to us and lift us up and provide what we need. Uh, he is so faithful. Uh, Martha was the strong sister. Uh, she was grieving, she was hurting, but she was able to hold things together. Uh, you probably know people in your family that are that way. They can kind of hold things together. Maybe they grieve by themselves. But uh, Mary wasn't like that. Mary hears about Jesus asking for her, and she rushes to him. But unlike Martha, who has a discussion with Jesus, Mary sees him and the floodgates of emotion just open. And uh, she begins to weep. And she falls down at the feet of Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she is just broken. She is quivering as she weeps at the feet of Jesus. As she weeps, her, her friends around her begin to weep. And we see some things that Jesus does in response to Mary that are very precious indeed. Uh, that's going to be the topic of our discussion today. Um, how does Jesus feel when you're hurting? We need to draw near to Jesus. We need to bring our burdens to him because he truly cares and he truly loves us. How Jesus feels when you're hurting. Look with me at verse 28. Having said this, she went back, that's Martha, and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. 
As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. So how Jesus feels when you're hurting, how does he feel? Well, first of all, we see his nearness, his nearness. Look at verse 28. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. So Jesus draws near to us. He wants to be near to us when we're hurting. That's the desire of his heart. Um, For Mary and Martha, it was delayed, right? Uh, But at the right time, for God's glory and the salvation of souls, Jesus comes and begins to minister to Mary and Martha there. Um, the scripture says in Psalm 34, 18, that the Lord is near those who are crushed in spirit. Listen, I'm going to tell you, we have the promise of God, and we have the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Sometimes we don't feel that Jesus is near, right? We may know he's near intellectually, but we don't feel he's near. Job says, he says, oh, that the Lord were here. Oh, that I could have a discussion and present my case before him. That I could have some answer for why I'm going through this great trial. And all he heard was silence. Sometimes God may not speak into our life in a time of trouble But if you're a child of God, you can know on the promise and the authority of God's word that he is with you. Spurgeon went through a time that he called a great night, dark night of the soul. And he he struggled to sense God's presence and he was struggling in his spiritual life. But can I tell you, Jesus was with him every moment of that time. And he's with us as well. I will never leave you or forsake you and we see his desire here his desire to come near the teacher is asking for you the teacher wants to speak with you he wants to be near you can I tell you something in your time of trial Jesus wants to be near you he's asking for you he wants you to draw near to him and bring your burden and lay the burden at his feet he delights to be with you you know sometimes uh, I was listening to a radio program this week and and the announcer was saying, look, uh, he said, when I ask you how you're doing, I really don't want an answer. He said, and if you tell me something more than, well, it's been a rough week, but, uh, but I'm okay. If you tell me something more than that, he said, I check out. He said, I really don't care. He said, I really didn't want to know that. I was just greeting you. Thank God that Jesus is not like that, right? He, he doesn't check out on us. He doesn't say, well, you know, Roger, you, be, you keep coming to me with this, this thing, and 
I'm kind of tired of listening to you. I'd rather do something else, you know. Uh, Praise God that he doesn't do that. He is eager to be near to us, to bear our burden, and to come alongside us in our pain. That's the heart of Jesus for us. And so trust him in those times of difficulty. Maybe you're struggling even to sense his presence. Call on his name. Um, and and share your burden with him and ask him for his grace because he truly loves you. So how does Jesus feel when you're hurting? Well, first of all, we see his nearness. Secondly, we see his anger. Now, your translation, if it's like mine, doesn't say that, doesn't say anger. It says something like, in verse 33, deeply moved. But the word that is used here most often is translated anger or angry. He is angry. Jesus uh, is observing what's going on in verse 33. It says he saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying. And he was deeply moved or he was angry. Angry. Why is Jesus angry? There's a lot of theories about why Jesus is angry. I heard one. He said, well, he's angry about their unbelief. Well, Mary and Martha believed in Jesus. Uh, maybe they didn't believe to the level that they should have believed. Uh, as do, do, do any of us believe God perfectly at all the time? Uh, but actually, they believed enough to call him to come, didn't they? And the whole thing about saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, shows that they believed that he could heal their brother. They had faith. So it's not faith that Jesus is angry, a lack of faith that Jesus is angry about. He's not angry at the Jews, I don't believe, for uh, coming along with them. I mean, would you be angry if you visited somebody that you loved and you saw that there were people there comforting them? You wouldn't be angry, you'd be grateful. So Jesus is not angry at that either. So what's he angry at? Well, this text tells us what he's observing. Verse 33, he saw her crying. And the Jews who had come with her crying, and he was angry. Now, he's not angry that they chose to grieve. He's angry that they're in pain. He's angry that they're in pain. I remember when Megan was sick the first time, and uh, she had one of the, the issues she had, she'd wake up at night with nightmares, and uh, there was a number of times I'd come in there and, and, uh, and, and she would be crying and I would begin to cry. And I'd be angry and frustrated, wishing that I could take her place that she would not have to suffer. Jesus is angry. Listen, we live in a world that is not as God intended. You realize that, right? Sometimes I hear people say, well, this is an act of God. And even though I know God is sovereign over everything, and he is in control of when tragedy strikes and so forth, he's in control, he's sovereign over those things. He may not directly cause some of those things, but he is sovereign over them. Um, That's not what God originally intended. What God intended is found in the garden. And guess what? The enemy messed it up through the temptation of Eve, and we messed it up, right? Adam and Eve 
chose to eat of the fruit in the garden, and they sinned against God, and nothing was ever the same. The curse came upon this world, and brokenness, and death, and heartache, and and, and Adam and Eve stand over the grave of their dead son, Abel, who came to kill. And I'm sure just the brokenness of this world that sin has brought. Uh, this is the world that we live in. And, 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 and it's not that every tragedy that comes is directly a result of a sin that we commit. That sometimes God may discipline us or even judge those who are lost for sin. But uh, sickness is not always because of that. But it is a result of the sinful choices of our forefathers because the curse came upon this world. And all the sickness and all the pain and all the heartache and all the things that people do to one another are all the result of man turning their back on God. That's a lesson our country can learn. We need to turn back to the Lord as a country and put our trust in him. But uh, Jesus is angry that they're in pain. Now, it says it twice. The Greek word in verse 33 is also used in verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Same word. By the way, the Greek word uh, literally is the word used for a horse snorting. That kind of gives the idea of anguish. You know, you've seen in the cartoons, you know, when they snort and they're you know they're mad and the bull is pawing and he's getting ready to charge how dare he do that Uh, that's kind of the idea Um, Jesus sees their pain and he is angry have you ever felt angry maybe the loss of a loved one and, and there's anger there's an emotion of anger that comes that they're no longer with you maybe there were some goals that you would like to have seen achieve maybe some experiences to, to have together that you would like to have experienced but you can't and and there's this anger uh, or perhaps because the sickness is prolonged and you're angry because why doesn't God heal me and and you're frustrated I, I I'm tired of dealing with this I'm tired of the trouble why is this still going on and we are frustrated and we're angry but can I tell you something Jesus shares our anger Why does God allow these things? Well, because it's part of living in a world that's been cursed by sin. And God wants as many people as possible to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen, there's coming a day where God's going to take all this stuff away. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And there'll be no curse. And there'll be no sin. And there'll be no heartache. But in the meantime, God allows the things we experience so that people can come to faith. You know, Peter was having this discussion, why is the Lord delaying his coming? He says, says, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. And uh, this is God's heart. This is God's desire. Because listen, as bad as your physical experience or my physical experience may be at times, This eternal destination of souls is so much more important. Sometimes God will intervene in the circumstance and he'll deliver us. And he does that in this scripture. We didn't get that far in the story, but he does that. And he knows he's going to do that. Uh, 
But the point remains that at times we have to suffer because of that. Praise God for that day that's coming when all of that will be taken away. What a day that will be. So how does Jesus feel when you're hurting? First of all, we see his nearness. Secondly, we see his anger. Thirdly, we see his compassion. If you look at verse 33, it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Now, this is an interesting word also. Uh, It can mean to be shaken, to be moved. Um, This idea of being troubled, it's a strong word. It, It doesn't mean he was a little bit sad, okay? This means he was shaken to the core. He sees Mary broken and weeping, and he loves her. And he sees the Jews standing around her weeping, and it, it, it just moves him to the core. Listen, if you want an evidence at how much God is moved by your pain and by your sorrow, look to the cross because Jesus chose to go to the cross for you and me. He chose to take, you remember I was talking about wanting to take Megan's place. Jesus chose to take our place. Because as bad as whatever may come in this life is, what would happen in hell is far worse. The blackness of darkness forever. A fire that burns forever. Listen, sin is no gain. It has eternal consequences. That's why we need to call sin, sin, as God's people. Because despite the fact that it may be politically incorrect, people need Jesus. They need to escape hell, and they need to know the joy of walking with him. So, uh, Jesus is deeply moved. Sometimes we can feel, maybe we're going through a trial, we pray, and we, it seems like our prayers are hitting the ceiling. It seems like God is silent, and it seems like he doesn't care. I think it's interesting that he says at the beginning of this, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He, had, he says that because it seems at the beginning, through what he does, that he doesn't love them. Have you ever felt that before? But we look and we see the compassion of Jesus that he is deeply moved here. He's shaken. He's he's troubled in his spirit as he sees them grieving. He, He identifies with us. He shares the experience with us. You remember what Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You see, who was Saul persecuting? He was persecuting the church of God, the people of God. But Jesus says, why do you persecute me? Because Jesus walks through these experiences with us. He feels the pain that we feel. He's troubled by the sorrow and the brokenness in our lives. That's one reason he came. He's going to fix all that. Praise his name, Jesus is coming, and uh, everything is going to be fixed. In the meantime, he has compassion. 
Next, uh, not only how does Jesus feel when you're hurting, not only do we see his nearness, his anger, and his compassion, we see his resolve. Look at verse 34. Where have you put him? Jesus says it's time for action. <laughs> he's, he's like, okay, where have you put the, where have you put him? Let's go. Jesus says it's time to get him up and change things. And he has a resolve to get things done. You see, Jesus has a resolve to deal with the problem you're facing as soon as the necessity of the delay is past. You see, it was necessary for Jesus to delay for two days. He hears the news. What does he do? He stays in the place two more days. But we see here, he has a resolve to settle the issue. Well, why is he waiting? The glory of God and the salvation of souls. You see, the Jews had come from Jerusalem. It wasn't just Mary that was suffering. The Jews were there suffering and grieving along with her. And they needed to hear the gospel. And so Jesus comes with the message of the gospel. And he has a resolve. He's going to handle this issue. Listen, we don't always understand. Martha and Mary quickly understood why Jesus delayed. They saw the people come to faith in Christ. They saw Lazarus raised up. They saw the work that he did. And and, uh, the Bible says that so many people were coming to faith in Christ because of Lazarus that the leaders were saying, well, the whole world's going after him. God did an amazing work through the suffering experience that that family went through. They knew about it. You and I sometimes don't know about it. We don't know why. God doesn't necessarily tell us why. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes we may have to wait till we get to heaven to know the whys. But we know he always has a reason. Because 1 Peter tells us that we only suffer from these manifold tribulations if it is necessary. God has a purpose. We may not know what it is, but God has a purpose. And Jesus has a resolve. As soon as that purpose is fulfilled, as soon as the necessity has been met, to intervene and set things right. Have you ever wanted to intervene in your child's life? And you felt like, no, I don't need to do this. I need to let them learn how to handle this, right? They've got to grow. Maybe they're at a point which they need to begin to start handling these things. Because guess what? You're not going to be with them when they're adults, right? So what's going to happen when they face this trouble out in life? They've got to learn how to deal with it, right? Now, you may come alongside. You may provide some support. But they've got to learn. And so you, you hold back. You want to intervene. But you hold back because you know they've got to learn how to deal with this. Sometimes the Lord holds back. And he's probably got a lot better reasons than we do. (laughs) But he holds back for his purpose. But as soon as the necessity is passed, he has a resolve. It's like Jesus, he he sees them broken. He sees them weeping. And he is angry. And he is shaken. And he says, look, i got to do something about this. And he gets up and he says, where is he? Let's take care of this problem. And what does he do? He comes, and with one word, everything changes. That's his power. Isn't it going to be great one day when God gives the word and Jesus comes back? (laughs) 
<laughs> go get your bride. Uh, son, it's time. Well, I don't know what he's going to say to Jesus, but man, is it going to be great. Um, and God is going to set things right. His resolve. I, I was uh, reading a book uh, this past week about, uh, uh, what do they call those, uh, uh, not near-death experiences, but uh, uh, those where people are dead on the table and they have a, they see something supernatural and then they come back. And it was talking about all the blessing that, and people don't want to go back. And they come back to fulfill God's purpose or um, sometimes uh, maybe to give their testimony. But you see, God's got some great plans for us. This, this life, the Bible says, is a vapor, but eternity is forever. This life is a moment, but eternity is forever. And one day, everything will be set right. Jesus has a resolve. Jesus is waiting. The Father's going to say, go get him. <laughs> hey, listen, this, this roof, if, if I'm here, I'm going to bust right through it. I don't know, I might not bust. I, might, I don't know how spiritual bodies work, but the roof is not going to be in my way. Let's just put it that way. I'm going to be with Jesus like that. And everything will change. Now, sometimes the Lord will intervene now. If, there, if the necessity is fulfilled for whatever that is, he'll answer. And many times, I think we need to be good askers because the, Jesus said you have not because you ask not. We need to ask the Lord for what we need and trust that he wants to give it to us if he knows we can handle it and if he knows it's time. I mean, we need to trust him. Trust him with the results. If he doesn't act right away, know that he has the resolve to intervene. So how Jesus feels when you're hurting, what do we see? Uh, well, first of all, we see his nearness, his anger, his compassion, his resolve, and finally his tears. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Uh, when I was a kid, we, we would talk about this verse because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. You know, yeah, I, I've memorized the Bible verse, Jesus wept. You know, and and the, the whole significance of this just flew right over my head and I was just glad I knew a, the shortest verse in the Bible right <laughs> uh, but when you begin to think about this this is profound Jesus weeps with us now he wasn't weeping about Lazarus he knew what he's about to do but as he saw the pain in Mary and Martha as he saw the pain in the people gathered there as they wept, Jesus was angry. He was shaken. And he himself began to weep as he saw their pain. Listen, I know that one day God is going to wipe away all tears from our eyes, and that's going to be a great day. But I believe there are tears in heaven right now because the Lord Jesus weeps for us. As he sees us struggling in this life, he feels for us. Um, the Jews, uh, some said, see how he loved him. They thought he was weeping for Lazarus. Others said, well, couldn't he have, if he opened the eyes of the blind, couldn't he have healed this guy? Why did he stay there for two days? Why didn't he come on? 
There's still people who question the Lord today in the midst of the, the sin and the heartache we see in this world. But can I tell you something? Jesus weeps with his children. If you're hurting today, you know, I, I, I've seen people that, that have tried to tell people who are grieving and hurting, hey, buck up, get, you know, have some faith, get over it. You're supposed to be a Christian. You're supposed to smile all the time. Don't you know that? By the way, that's not true. Guess what? Jesus wept. So, uh, it's not a sign of unbelief that we grieve. It's not a sign of unbelief that we're in pain. It's just a natural part of living in this world. But thank God, the Bible says our, our light and momentary suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? When you go through the worst time of grief or pain in your life, know that compared to what's coming, it is light and momentary compared to the glory that's yet to come. What a place that must be. <laughs> Can you imagine what joy we're going to have? Listen, whatever you've experienced in your walk with God, in the sweetest quiet time, in the greatest time of worship, when the presence of God came down, in a time of revival, it is just a taste of what is yet to come. This light and momentary suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. And they got just a glimpse. <laughs> because Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. What's it going to be like when all the families who have been separated are reunited? <laughs> when the graves open up and God's people who are still living are caught up to meet them in the air? What's it going to be like when there's no sin, there's no heartache, there's no pain, and God wipes away all tears? Listen, the raising of Lazarus, as great as it was, Lazarus was raised to die again. Jesus was raised to live forever. He's the first fruits of the resurrection, that eternal resurrection that you and I will experience one day. Know that when you're hurting, and when you're weeping, Jesus weeps with you. How does Jesus feel when you're hurting? We see his nearness, his anger, his compassion, his resolve, and his tears. Jesus truly cares. You know how much God cares for you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus, by the way, is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. If I'd have known how much trouble all of us were going to be to the Lord, if I was Jesus, I think I, I, think I would have said, I pass. I think I'll sit in the easy chair and not have to deal with all this mess of sin and heartache and brokenness and all of these things. But that's not what Jesus said. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before God ever said, let there be light, Jesus saw you and he saw me. He saw our sin and our brokenness, and he chose to go to the cross. That's the heart of Jesus toward you. Listen, if you know him today, thank God he walks with you through every trial you go through. If you don't know him, know how much he loves you. 
that he's paid the price for your sin, that he has settled things between you and God so that you can have a relationship with God and go to heaven when you die and escape hell because he took your judgment in your place and he rose again in mighty power and he calls you today to choose to turn from your sin in your own way to trust in him and follow him today. That's your heart and and you'd like to make that choice. Just call upon the Lord Jesus right where you sit right now. Lord Jesus, I choose today to surrender to you. I choose to follow you. And I receive your gift of eternal life uh, that you promised. And uh, the Lord Jesus will save your soul on the authority of his word. And then come make it public. Come down this aisle here to the front and make it public. And let people know what Jesus has done in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the message of the gospel. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Lord, that though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And uh, Lord, thank you for the mighty resurrection of Jesus that changes everything. Help us trust you, Lord, when we're struggling, when we're hurting. Uh, Help us know that you love us and that you care for us. Help us remember your heart for us.